Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing Holiday Inn, directed by Mark Sandrich, The Mitchells vs. the Machines, by Michael Rihanna and Jeff Rowe, Being the Ricardos, directed by Aaron Sorkin, and newly released Kimmy by Steven Soderbergh, and Marry Me, directed by Kat Coiro. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Hey, Tommy boy, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good, buddy. It's going pretty good. How was your uh, week of movies, man? Week of movie was all right. Uh, of course, Valentine's Day week, uh, Singles Awareness Week. Oh, <laughs> 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 you know, wherever you fall on that spectrum, but um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, not the best week of movies, but always excited to talk about movies. Let's not, you know, don't don't get me wrong, is what I'm saying. Right? You know? <laughs> kind of middle of the road on a lot of things, and surprised by. By some, especially some Oscar nomination films that uh, I'm, of course, covering, you know, with all the catch-up work. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that's music to my ears because I love filling in that bottom you barrel do. stuff. <laughs> you do. I, lo- <laughs> I love it because I don't have to sit there and watch right, it. It's not do. my job. But we still, yeah, we, <laughs> we still get, the, get the juice for it. <laughs> um, all right, well, we're going to step, uh, step back in time a little bit to a pretty classic movie. This is going to be Holiday Inn. And this is 1942. Which, yeah, I think is the earliest of the Fred Astaire's we've done so far this uh, this month. Yeah, I think so. so. I think so. Yeah. And like you said, uh, Fred Astaire movie and also Bing Crosby. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because it's kind of a holiday movie, and it is the big holiday movie Bing Crosby had before White Christmas. Yes. Everyone now knows White Christmas, but really Holiday Inn is kind of like right up there as far as mm-hmm. critically mm-hmm. reviewed and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. But 1942, this is Holiday Inn. What do we have? Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, Fred Astaire and Bing Crosby, a match made in musical heaven. Uh, Bing sings, and Fred's got the footwork, and that very much is the the focus of this uh, of this movie. We have uh, Fred and Bing being performing partners together, and where Bing leaves for a different life, uh, Fred tries to slowly pull him back in. This ends up having. A little bit of a different, uh, a different outcome for what Fred's original plan. Oh, I'm sorry, what Bing's original plans are, uh, and instead he opens up a hotel called the Holiday Inn. That is, its premise is that it is only open for festivities 15 days out of the year, which are the 15. Uh, I guess federal holidays at the time. We were talking a little bit before the podcast. Uh, <laughs> holidays are referenced like Lincoln's birthday and uh, yeah, and, that's and, how and Washington's birthday. So this is obviously a time capsule in that regard. So uh, the film really focuses on the rivalry between these two. There's a lot that is I don't I wouldn't want necessarily call it a love triangle, but it's feuding. Uh, it's feuding creatives. It's it's feuding performers of how Bing feels 
performances should be small scale, uh, wants to get away from the city, wants to get away from stress, and Fred is obviously... I honestly kind of plays our antagonist, if you will, okay. or at least our kind of uh, the conflicting partner, always trying to pull Bing into performance schemes, uh, steal away his partners, and, and yada yada. So how much does, and you kind of set that triangle, how much does our female lead, uh, Marjorie Reynolds, play a role? Is she kind of take a, 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 you know, a back seat, or is she right in there with, you know, with the boys? Uh, I would say she takes a little bit more of a back seat. It's juggled actually between two female leads that oh, are that Virginia are Dale as well. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. And I would say the main focus, though, she is the subject of what Fred is trying to maybe grab away from Bing's production in, in the Holiday Inn. It's still, it, it's about that conflict between the two partners. Okay, here. all right. I, I gotta be honest, I didn't really love the main plot here. I mean, it is, it just kind of meanders. Uh, the conflict between Bing and Fred, I just feel is a little weak. So it's obviously meant to be petty, and a lot of the comedy plays off of the pettiness of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's definitely intentional. I, I just didn't get much enjoyment out of it, and and honestly, maybe a little bit of a bias, but I didn't really enjoy Fred uh, in a kind of antagonistic role uh, either. I didn't oh. really, in, uh, you know, what I mean that that is one hundred percent a bias. Uh, but you I like have seeing him in the box he's supposed to be. Yeah, huh? I do. I do. <laughs> it was it was weird. Uh, you know, he's he's. I don't know. I it, I didn't think it came off great, and especially for how much I really did like Bing Crosby in this. So I uh, oh, will, of cool, course, cool. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, I mean, the main focus uh, as far as that that criticism though is that. I think if you know folks at home that you enjoy type of a love triangle type of setup or or kind of a conflicting partners tit for tat type of story, uh, I think that's that's that this this movie definitely will check a box for you. I think for me, uh, a little bit more lukewarm on it right from the get go because I just wasn't enjoying the setup, and certainly you know that that is the the whole follow through with the film. Then uh, this movie, like a lot we have covered so far, uh, is uh, of course composed by the legendary legendary, uh, Irving Berlin. Mm -hmm. Uh, And included in this film, like you introduced, Tom, uh, are concepts of uh, undoubtedly Bing's most famous movie, White Christmas. White Christmas uh, actually is in this film as a song that Bing performs in the Holiday Inn. I'm not saying this as a detraction or, or a critique of the film, but just very interesting how... A lot of these musicals, a lot of Fred Astaire musicals are composed by Berlin, and I mean, a, a lot of classic songs are incorporated in this. We covered Easter Parade not too long ago, and mm-hmm. very similarly, Easter Parade is in, a, as a song, is in this movie as well. Oh, really? Composed, the song itself? You know, 10, 10, or, uh, you know, put to screen with Fred Astaire. Ten years later, uh, like we covered last week for Easter Parade, and it's also like at uh, Easter Parade, Holiday Inn, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, White Christmas. Also, it's just like you know, Irving Berlin is has almost like the biggest name on the movie poster. Yes, like it's a big deal, and dude's a powerhouse. And it's weird that like <clears throat> you know we know these title names, especially mm-hmm. like Holiday Inn. We definitely know White Christmas and everything as far mm-hmm. as just the movie, not even the song. We know the actors that play the role, and Irvin Berlin is just like he's really the like he's yeah, absolutely. huge. He's a big deal in this time, and the dude is like he he lived to a hundred and one. By the way, <laughs> like he lived from eighteen eighty eight to, to, to nineteen eighty nine. He was like prolific. Decades, I think prolific it, and yeah. decades and decades in the movie industry at like a high high level. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's good that you 
took a second to kind of like right. m- mention him and just like single him out because it's kind of super important. Absolutely, I think I think the contributions here are huge. You're exactly right in the uh, you know the promotional material and the marketing material of these films. Uh, Berlin's name is bigger than even directors and stars. You know, it's it's almost top bills sometimes. Which just goes to show. I think back in the day, he was drawing you he was mm-hmm. used to draw people to the theater or mm-hmm. something like that and now it's like i just feel like people for, has have forgotten about him you know yeah and it's odd because uh even looking at some of uh, the songs he wrote even beyond this film it's 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 an oddball of how we would forget someone like that uh so prolific but of course you know i mean I, I think I think for the for the legacy of these films, the fact that he is put in such a forefront uh, that this is you know composed by him and he is being portrayed like a director, so in, so integral yeah. as a director. Mm-hmm. I, I think you know I want to bring it up, and especially again, a Holiday Inn is a little bit of an anomaly because it has. Easter Parade and White Christmas, and I'm probably some others that I maybe didn't even connect the connect the wires with uh, right, right, in later productions. It was just uh, uh, he, he said, you know, it was Bing singing White Christmas in the Holiday Inn. I wrote the note uh, in my notes. I said, you know, holy crap, you know, this is this is like a proto White Christmas, and then he goes on to well, sing Easter Parade too. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Uh, I think an important cool. thing to I mean, note, it's not a critique, though, because I think in, in a lot of cases, maybe for more modern films, I would say, oh, well, been there, done that. Timing is interesting back then, the way things were done. Yeah, it's kind of cool to highlight. You yeah. Know, I have some questions, actually. I would love to kind of dig deeper in. Absolutely. To, to it. But. Absolutely. I think, like I said before, Bing really is the standout uh, and, and probably most enjoyable in the film. He has some great energy, some great comedic chops, which, uh, as you're watching this film... Especially if you've never seen it before and you go to watch it, folks, it's uh, it's odd to take a look at because he's so laid back. His character mm. is self-described as lazy. Uh, I think it works. Uh, it really does work on screen uh, as far as Bing's energy. It's not that he is bouncing around the walls because he, frankly... Can't keep up with Fred Astaire's uh, cadence, you know, mm-hmm. literal and 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 metaphorical, uh, of what what he has on screen. So I think the the type of comedy, the type of sly looks that are incorporated from Bing, uh, some actually some physical comedy as well, and some slapstick. It really did work, and I think uh, a surprising. Because I was, you know, watching this, these movies for Fred Astaire. Uh, Fred Astaire was probably the weaker element uh, for right, me, right. and Bing kind of stepped in to to take the take the spotlight for me. Well, the funny thing is with Bing, I'm, I'm just so I actually haven't. I watched Holiday Inn a very, very, very long time ago. Okay, <clears throat> and White Christmas for me is like a family classic. Of course, all my you know my aunts and my cousins, it's, mm-hmm. it's watched every year. That that kind of thing. And it's just hearing the premise of this, it's just funny that you have two lead men, mm-hmm. you have two lead females, but also the men, like, because in White Christmas, you have Danny Kane, where it's just like, Bing Crosby can only, you know, he'll dance a little bit, but not much. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's he's, not much. He's much more in there for vocal instead of the dance mm-hmm. and everything. Even in that movie, Bing is, there's kind of a coolness to him. Yeah, you know? absolutely. There, there's, there is. There's kind of this, I've always said... If uh, the James if the James Bond franchise happened a year earlier and in America, <laughs> Bing, 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 Bing would make a good Bond at a certain time Crosby, of his life. Bing Crosby. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, the, he's got a coolness to him, and he plays yeah. off that silliness where he's just like I don't know he he plays the silliness off with a certain confidence 
that it works. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's being Absolutely. silly, but he's still cool. You know, yeah. and it's and it's fun to watch. And, and, and that and that separation is definitely played for comedic moments in this film because I mean, right the opening number is a song about Fred not being able to sing but he can dance and right. being can being able to sing but not being able right, to dance. Right. So did you find and who did you find yourself well it sounds like you know, you weren't thrilled exactly with Astaire's performance. Mm. Were you finding yourself wanting to be Bing? I don't know. I think I was just more so, I was, Bing stepped in in the type of, what I wanted out of this film was less pettiness, less tit for tat between the two partners. Okay. And if there was ever a conflict, it was always Fred Astaire leading that and Bing reacting to it. I would have maybe liked a little bit more back and forth uh, of kind of sharing the blame, if you will, of, right, of, right. The, of, of their friendship uh, deteriorating. I mean, you know, it's obviously not like a drama or anything, but I, I think Bing just stepped in in, in a great way to hmm. just give some energy in, in the way I wanted to see it, you know, instead of it being petty or anything like that then. Yeah, so. no, absolutely. Uh, Fred, I think, is, again, in this kind of odd role. I don't know if he, I would describe it as bad performance, per se, but definitely not a standout. And, and again, it's kind of an odd note because the whole reason why I'm watching these films is for Fred. So him being the weaker part is is, is not a great sign. As I've been touching on with all of these films, standout dance uh, sequences for Fred are really good. There is a great drunk dance sequence in the beginning. Uh, remind, I mean, I don't know, this could be a special down the road, but kind of drunk acting in film. Uh, you know, where, be, you know, we could do Jackie Chan, Drunken Master kind of thing. That would be and, a great special. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, I mean, you, typically it's done poorly. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like overacting. Exactly. Uh, what comes to mind for me is Denzel Washington in Flight. Oh, that's a very, very, very good, good job of being Absolutely. like drunk. Absolutely. The, the the curled lips and yeah, absolutely. Well, just like uh, yeah, the problem with the overacting is like, okay, I have to act drunk, mm-hmm. so you act like you you overdo it. Mm-hmm. But the real thing is, when you're actually drunk and like in a public setting, you're mm-hmm. you're not trying to act drunk. Right. You're a drunk person trying to act normal. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's kind of it. So there's a drunk sequence, though, like a drunk yeah, dance it's sequence. a he he shows up on uh, at the Holiday Inn. Um, is he sloppier? Yes, okay. absolutely. And it goes into the dance choreography. And again, obviously, it's like well, it is maybe a little bit over over embellished on the 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 inebriated aspect of it. But obviously, behind it, Fred is obviously diving into the choreography to create a dance around the inspiration of being drunk, and the dance kind of unfolds oh, cool. in that way. Cool. Uh, yeah. And that's why I thought it was a standout. Uh, another standout is, uh, uh, of course, when we get into more of the holidays passing by that the Holiday Inn is open for the more patriotic holidays. I think it was either Fourth of July or um, Washington's birthday. I forget which sequence it was. Probably, there, probably Washington's birthday. Yeah, yeah. Just because of the time of the year that we're looking. Very at. true. Yeah. Very true. The there was there's a firecracker dance sequence which I think is wonderful. Uh, again, plays to Fred's love of percussion uh, around tap dancing mm. and kind of making a song within a song uh, about it uh, I just think those are really the two standout performances so one significant mark against this like I said I already talked about I was not super thrilled with the plot just because it wasn't really what I wanted and a lot of the times I get annoyed with romance plots when they are just so petty. Uh, one significant mark about this sequence, there's a sequence in this film that does include uh, some very prominent blackface. Uh, and oh, let really? me, scratching my head a, a, a bit with it, the, the song is 
titled Abraham uh, and fills our February slot for Lincoln's birthday uh, as the holiday. I think, and as I'll, I'll kind of unpack in a second, the kind of racial insensitivity to it, I, of course you're going to get some of this with older films. Uh, I was surprised to see it so prominent in a film like this with, with mainline stars. And to be fair, it is incorporated as part of a joke. Uh, Bing is using this blackface as a plot device to cover up the girl he's trying to hide from Fred so he doesn't steal her away. Right, right. So it's not blackface for the sake of blackface. I, I do think it's a little bit odd because one of the supporting characters is a black maid with two children, uh, Louise Beavers. And... Mm-hmm. In addition to other black actors in the musical sequence itself, I think my thoughts on this are simple from a credit perspective, and especially, you know, we've been probably bringing it up almost every episode in February, how are we watching this in the modern day? I think in addition to it aging poorly with the racial aspect, my focus, rather, is I think it's a failure of the film not to use already casted black actors who are singing in the song. Luis is singing in the song, Abraham, to her children, you know, so there clearly is a a shared screen time. And instead, they, they rely on this blackface where I think they could have incorporated in the already casted actors and actresses, specifically Luis, hmm. to incorporate in the film. I think that's where my criticism towards this lies. It, it's n- not necessarily directed towards the ra- racial insensitivity. Certainly a trigger warning for you folks at home if, if that's something that you are not interested in seeing. But I think as well, it, it, critically speaking, it is a misuse of the cast and the tool, or, or not the tools, but the, the cast and the... I don't know, for lack of a better word, ammo that the film already right. has. Does that make no, sense? No, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, but, I, I mean, maybe it's too much to say, you know, work a little bit more more slick, you know, in, in a smart way to incorporate your cast. I mean, this is the Bing Crosby, Fred Astaire show, so maybe back then creating a supporting cast member that was not one of the main leads would be outlandish to give them that much screen time. But what, what le- again, what left me scratching my head is Louise Beavers is in the composition of the song. It just felt really odd that we had both shine. You know, if, if she was just a maid in the, in the story and not part of that musical act, that's where I would say, okay, well, it's more of a comedy device, but it, we're, we're calling to it, and, and she gets her own screen time for it. Why were why did we have to have blackface paired with an actual black actress? That's where I think it's a little mm. in uh, poor taste, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I can't stress enough, though. I mean, I think uh, the, the racial aspect or and the, and the time date uh, aside, it's, I think it's just a misuse, uh, or rather just a misopportunity of what the film already has in its repertoire. You know, use your actors creatively and and, and in an intelligent yeah, way. Yeah. Uh, but again, it was just it was just so odd that we have this pairing of actual black actresses and Louise has singing chops as well. She has a moment in singing in Abraham. So I, I think that, that criticism aside, because we're going long on, on a 1942 movie 
movie. Uh, <laughs> you know, let's 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 wrap it up here. I think this movie doesn't have too much of a compelling plot for me, and the romance is more frustrating than anything. And I would say that is uh, aside from this uh, this major you know this major talking piece in modern day about the racial insensitivity uh, that is in you know a major sequence of this film. So, uh, with that said, uh, not not a huge rating, but I think definitely something that we can distinguish from the 100% that is on Rotten Tomatoes. We're going to go ahead and give Holiday <laughs> Inn a 43. Oh, wow, 43. Whew, okay, much different than the 100% then. Yeah, yeah, much different. Like I said, mostly there, I think the, the plot was just frustrating we just we just it's just it's so much like i don't don't know i didn't want to see these characters fighting that's a little bit of my bias but yeah it just it just wasn't compelling weak weak stakes behind everything yeah yeah okay all right so 43 percent yeah i was expecting a little bit higher but i mean all that makes sense i would be interesting next week Mm -hmm. doing white christmas (laughs) and the comparing kind of contrasting and see what we have a little bit well well i want to get back to fred i like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, if he's gonna get, oh, I don't know. Bing Bing doesn't have a have a month. <laughs> Just yet. Not, yet. Not, yeah, yet. not yet, not yet, But okay, all right. So forty three for Holiday Inn. So we're gonna take a huge jump. That was nineteen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was nineteen forty two, and uh, we're gonna go ahead into two thousand and twenty one. Yep. The Mitchells versus the Machines. Okay, all right. This is obviously nominated out of one of the five for. Best animated picture uh, for this year's Oscars. Landed on my radar through one of the visual development artists, uh, Alex Konstad, uh, who I follow on social media. Really love his stuff, so wanted to give a shout out. I actually uh, shot him a DM and say, hey, you know, is this cool? Uh, but uh, but yeah, I really love his stuff. And as well, we have Sony Pictures Animations. While they may not have the most spotless record, I think Sony Pictures in general uh, it has, has a very spotty record, uh, I was a massive fan of Into the Spider-Verse. I, I think the, the animation mm. style and what they developed there was huge. I think everybody was a big fan, yeah. Yeah, and, and what I'll get into is that this is actually using the same animation engine uh, that they created for Spider-Verse, but with just different tweaks. So that's, uh, once again, why this film is on my radar, and that really is the crux of what I want to talk about when it comes to why I think this maybe is my front runner for best animated picture. Really, uh, out of the five, yeah. Honestly, it's nice just to get like another big, another big studio behind mm-hmm. animation because mm-hmm. it's still dominated by like DreamWorks. Oh, you know, absolutely. Disney, Pixar, and absolutely. everything like that. And Pixar fact, runs Oscars too. You know, right, right, <laughs> yeah. And um, but just to have this with Sony like pumping out really good material, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I don't know, it's kind of cool. That this was a Netflix release. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? It's kind of nice to have absolutely. that. To have that. You know, mixing it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the it, this is a, a family movie first, but honestly, what I love about this is it is a great sci-fi movie because it really <laughs> has something to say about our reliance on technology. Uh, it really has some follow-through with that, that that go beyond jokes. That the message is all around technology uh, or the machines. Uh, the Mitchells are an, a very eccentric family. Uh, and trying to be uh, a family in today's world and all that that means, and so happens a robot apocalypse breaks out. <laughs> so uh, we have, I think, a, a great kind 
modern film, not only because it is tackling today's problems and family raising in a world with social media and smartphones and yada yada the whole nine, but on top of that as well, uh, it, there is something that this movie has to say about tech and using that to craft a sci-fi story is always a really good mark. You know, I think sci-fi is defined by its kind of social or or its its commentary, uh, phones, social media, uh, kind of a uh, <laughs> an older generation. I don't want to say boomer, but an older generation <laughs> of tech literacy. That that's where the bite to all the jokes are. But behind that bite is a lot of heart, and and I was really in love with this film for that reason. Much like Spider Verse, like I said, this is an animation powerhouse. Uh, I actually had to do some research into this because I'm not in in the current animation industry, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> as much as I, I, I love, you know, kind of tracking and and developments of animation. Uh, the same software that they use for Spider-Verse is apparently broad enough to be a platform for many styles. So where we have the team over at Sony Animation Pictures uh, using comic stylings for Spider-Man, in this, we have instead kind of a painted world quality to it, and uh, that for that reason alone, I think it really does jump to a should watch for me because we have a very similar look to the animation, but at the same time, it doesn't look like it at all. And I think it's it's just so unique to see on screen. There's this mash of painted strokes to CGI character models to kind of a cel-shaded look to their skin and their bodies and and, and movement, but it is really breathtaking for this kind of painted world quality to it. Uh, Really, really a standout for that reason. And we had brought this up recently uh, when you had watched Klaus. Mm. The fact that we're getting unique and still like ever-changing animation style. Yes, yes. It's cool, you know, and and kind of refreshing. Exactly. So it's good to see that even like Sony using the same, as you said, using the same engines and everything mm-hmm. like that as mm-hmm. Spideyverse, that we're still getting something different. Exactly. We're still getting uniqueness in this film. It's kind of cool. And it's it's such a, I, I really do think, you know, obviously hindsight's going to be twenty twenty on this, but I really do think these type of films are going to age so much better than the straight up CGI type of films that we see in early 2000s to, you know, to, to mm. early 2010s, yeah. where it's just about we have the CGI, let's use it. This is obviously, well, we've been there, done that with CGI now. How do we mend classical approaches, different artistic type of inspiration and mend them or meld them with uh, CGI. Very cool. And I think yeah. that's, that's what's going on here. And again, like I said, where for Spider-Man that was comic inspiration, now for Mitchell's versus the Machines, oddly enough, for a robot apocalypse, we have this painted <laughs> world quality and it kind of creates some contrast to humanity and, 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 and the robots there. So I, I think this is such a big highlight for me because... One, for the Oscar nomination, why this is why we're talking about this on the podcast, pretty much, uh, as far as a, a new watching uh, or a new viewing. It is pushing the boundary, once again, of what we consider animation to be or what we know animation to be. And I think for my enjoyment on a, on a very positive rating on this film, I love all sorts of animation. East, West, uh, if, it's, if it's following a new trend in just how I would say... 
maybe give credit to Animatrix that we covered recently for how 90s and how stylized it looked oh, back yeah, then. Yeah. In just the same way, this is really crafting a spot for itself among every animated picture because of how unique it looks and how truly stylized and inspired the team is for this then. Wow, so, very cool. I think, what uh, you know, not, not to just gush over this film, I think a little bit of a downside for me, oddly enough, are characters. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was a touch too annoying for me, a touch too uh, kid uh, for me, uh, and, I, and I think I just was just plain not a fan of some voice actor choices. Uh, I don't want to. Yeah, it's when you say too much kid for you. I mean, it's a kid movie, Mm -hmm. but something was a little bit off. Like, like it was just, it was just, it came off a little bit annoying. Which, okay, I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't think that's the most, um, you know, fleshed out criticism of it. You know, but I think uh, the The setups are just. I don't know. It was. It's going to be hit or miss. And I think if you're not watching this film with at least a, a a younger audience. As, as much as the story has stuff for the adults, right. has that kind of sci-fi bite to it. It loses it a bit. Yeah, it loses it a bit because uh, the, the jokes are just very, you know. And uh, again, yeah. it is a kid's movie, but that's where great animations really come in. Great mm. kid animations mm-hmm. where those classics for both audience, adults exactly. and kids, you get, it's like, you know, whether the kids in the rooms or not, an adult can enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. When you mm-hmm. look like, even you go back as far back as Toy Story, or mm-hmm. but like, like Kubo. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh you know, man. Uh, uh, Boss Baby. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, the, which is controversial. Uh, no, how but, much I like Boss Baby. But. <laughs> but truly great kid animations. Yes. Something for for all audiences of all ages. You know. Yeah. And exactly. It, and from what you just said, it you know it hits for the most part, but it's lacking a little bit. Yeah, and I think that's that's also a separation in in the work of this team where. I I would absolutely consider Spider-Verse to be must-watch. This probably gets a little bit more capped at should-watch for me, uh, for that reason. Sure. But I think, you know, as far as a a teen kid animated movie, I think I can go easy on it. The script is solid all the way through, and that's where I would critically give the credit. Again, tying into how the jokes are being crafted, the sci-fi inspiration, but also the the sci-fi examination uh, of the subject matter then. so, But eyes on this team. Uh, this is a sharp-looking film, and mark my words, uh, will be a standout for years to come because of the artists involved. It is about the artists involved with animation, and I'm hoping that this cracks through... To be fair, some very generic choices that are up for best animated picture this year for the Oscars. We're going to go ahead and give The Mitchells versus The Machines a 78. Wow, 78. Great score. Very and, solid. And like you said, not, you know, not quite not quite a must-watch, but mm-hmm. very, very highly, hey, should watch. Sit down, Absolutely. watch this movie, give it a watch. Very entertaining and and really a visual feast. Especially if you have a kid. I can only assume if you have a kid, absolutely sit down and watch this with mm-hmm. them. You know, mm-hmm. when you have a movie night or something like that. Wow, okay, Mitchell versus the Machines. Very good, very good. And just to note, you know, some of the big actors in that one, you have Danny McBride and Maya Rudolph and things like that. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's large actors behind it. And it is Netflix only, correct? Uh, I believe so, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, 78, great score. Let's see if those scores can kind of continue here. So we have another <laughs> Oscar buzz kind of getting a lot of hype at least and some and some noms for the actors and actresses still 2021 a little bit later in the year being the Ricardos mm, yes uh, and really the dialogue powerhouse Aaron, Aaron Sorkin you know he is up to up to bat for both directing and writing this film uh, this is a drama behind the scenes uh, and really a behind the scenes look at the 
I would say, the peak of I Love Lucy uh, and focused around the struggling marriage of Lucille Ball and uh, Desi Arnaz. Um, the, the focus there being on that marriage drama, I think, is why this film is good. Uh, what oddly fell short for me is this behind-the-scenes look at I Love Lucy because I don't necessarily have a lot of watch time with Lucille Ball uh, in in her comedic acting, but I felt it was just so weird that the the portrayal of that writer room writers room interaction it it was just it was man it was like pulling teeth uh, it, it just it's. Yeah, a cool concept, by the way. Yes, absolutely. Like if, if we're gonna make if we're gonna make two hours and eleven minutes, I would say like we're gonna make a short or little documentary. Mm-hmm. I, I love the concept. Of yeah, exploring that absolutely, and you, you can definitely see that Sorkin is is inspired by. Uh, both these characters in real life and the the very real um, uh, showbiz business dealings that happen with this movie or or within this movie, so I, there, there's certainly a, a realistic approach. Uh, maybe Sorkin's objective in this was to take away a lot of the the polish that we see in '50s television uh, that looks so flawless and and kind of give this behind the scenes look to say, hey, listen, you know. They were talking about serious topics here. Right. Uh, I think that just uh, undoubtedly that's where the film is the weakest. Uh, where it's strong is with, again, this this drama and uh, this conflict within the marriage of uh, Ball and Arnez. Nicole Kidman, of course, up for th- – this film is not up for Best Picture, but Nicole Kidman is up for Best Actress. I, I My note here is I, – I, I don't know. I, I can't even explain too much about it. It is uh, Nicole Kidman is to Nicole Kidman. Is <laughs> uh, she? She doesn't feel like Lucille Ball, and of course, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say that because who really knows beyond family? Apparently, the daughter uh, has given the the stamp of approval on this story and okay. and, and this performance. Um, but both on and off the TV set, it does not feel like the fearless comedy that Lucy has in the real show. We do not see Nick Kinman even try to perform any of the famous sequences we see from I Love Lucy in flashbacks, uh, in the actual production of the single episode that this uh, that this story focuses on. And I think it's just a huge missed opportunity. And, and definitely, I'm scratching my head to why she was even nominated. I mean, it's a good, it, it's, it's an, it's a good performance for Nicole Kidman. I do not. I think. I think it is not a good performance as far as the legend of Lucille like Ball. A, a representation of of what Lucille Ball had and what she put on screen. Exactly. Yeah. And, and fine if you know the portrayal here uh, is trying to tell a darker story. You know, she is very high strung. She is very controlling behind the scenes. And like I said, apparently. That type of interaction in the writer's room was uh, approved by the daughter who could give some perspective to that, whether that's stories her mother told her or whatnot. But there's just no joy in this story, and I think that's just a, a just such a massive missed opportunity for an endlessly entertaining performer. You tell me there's a story around Lucia Ball, immediately I'm jumping to... Still today, the the hilarious physical performances and physical comedy that that the actress portray- did in the show, and and I and I was excited to see maybe Nicole Kidman get out of her shell and try to portray that. I think it's two sides of the coin that need to be done to call it a great performance, and without it, it's a solid performance. But I don't think it's Oscar winning and maybe not even Oscar nominated. Uh, 
uh, if I'm being honest. I think it's fine if obviously Sorkin's objective here is telling a darker story and if that physical performance or physical comedy would muddy the waters a little bit too on on the impact of what's being told uh, on the marriage between these two actors and actresses right like he's i mean the he's he's trying to say it's not all sunshine and rainbows exactly on on a very sunshine and rainbows show Mm -hmm. i mean this is you know heart of america i love lucy stuff yeah i i just think again critically nicole kimmon's performance is one side of a two-sided coin uh with missing you know just probably the most defining quality which was lucille's balls love of comedy love of physical comedy i mean you go back and i mean i think when again i'm not a huge i love lucy fan but (laughs) i think of the ballerina scene where it's i mean it's so just genuinely hysterical seeing her act on screen and 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 perform physical comedy. I, I think that is not only is that missing entirely from this film. It just doesn't feel like Nicole Kidman is trying. Uh, so uh, it was a big big disappointment for that part. Uh, yeah, for me. And like you said, I mean, she's nominated for lead actress. Exactly. You know? and, and and on that note, we have Javier Bardem is mm-hmm. for uh, best leading role actor, mm-hmm. and J.K. Simmons is be- in for best, best supporting. supporting. Yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah, supporting cast is a big highlight. I think uh, Javier is awesome uh, i think uh while uh, physically his face bit of a miscast i don't know i mean i don't think he looks like that you right, right. know what i mean or at least look like him enough exactly right. uh, i think he balances the love desi has for lucy despite the conflict in their marriage and with still spotlighting this neglect that he has uh how business gets in the way of love how business sometimes is the only thing keeping love together uh, you know that working relationship so uh, i think it's uh it's a it's a good performance and and i really i do love javier i think he's a phenomenal actor yeah um, and, and and he is worthy you would say of the oscar mm, nom i don't i don't know hmm, i don't okay. know uh i think I would say I would say definitely a front runner. I don't know for sure though. Okay. Uh, and obviously, you know, uh, we we talk about it all the time, Tom. I mean, who who can read the minds of of the the Academy on this stuff? You know. Oh, I hate the yeah yeah I hate the Oscar. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> most people do honestly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So, uh, J.K. Simmons as well, very solid. Probably the closest in look to the original actor for what it's worth. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, and again, I, I'm not trying to put too much importance on that, but I think. Where you know, if there's a theme in my criticism, is that there's there's kind of a miscast in the portrayal uh, of these characters, or at least a side of these characters. Uh, I think J.K. Simmons hits both sides of that coin. Uh, I think the production of the show is where this movie works best for me, though. I, I, I certainly like that we see what's happening in the writer writer's room. I guess the assumption Sorkin has in writing this story is that, well, we obviously know the the happiness on screen that happens through the episodes. You don't just actually watch I Love Lucy. This is purely the behind-the-scenes look in that way. Right. I think this... I, I just wish there was more put into that, not for the sake of just wanting a happier story for the sake of it. It's a missing performance. It's a missing perspective of a legendary actress. Uh, and, mm. and, that, and that really does fall exclusively on Nicole Kidman's shoulders. I think it's just a huge missed opportunity. This movie is much more concerned with, again, the drama of their marriage, and it does 
you know, it, it doesn't appear to be for the majority of the time, but in the end, it comes off weak and weaker than I would like. And I think, unfortunately, well, maybe not unfortunately, but <laughs> oddly enough, I do kind of agree with some of the, the not the critical bashing, but I think the lukewarm reception this film has had. Uh, I just think it lacks some punch. And again, it's it's just such a missed opportunity on Nicole Kidman's part to portray a legendary actress and breathe life into this script. I think the real the movie would be better if these comedic roles, not only for Kidman's performance to push her creatively uh, and critically, it's it's missing life. It's just too much of a slog. It's too dark. Uh, and so is it all on her shoulder? Like, are you saying that the writing is there and it's her performance? Or it's like, you know... Is it squarely on her shoulders? It sounds like the part could have been written a little bit better and including some of those moments that you wanted to see. Yeah, I, I think it's it's on her shoulders, but at the same time, I guess it is 50-50 because if she is not, if, if the story, if the script is not giving her segments to perform this physical comedy, then, you know, right. she can't be blamed for that at the same time. Right, right. So that, that's about it as far as what I have to say for being Ricardos. We're going to go ahead and give being the Ricardos... A uh, fifty-nine. Okay, fifty-nine. Not terrible, you know. Yeah, it's kind of middle of the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that's fair. Would you say, and like being a fan of Javier or something like that, I'm a big fan of him as well. Should I give it a watch for his performance, or is it just like, yeah, you can kind of skip this one? I think I think my score at a fifty-nine really encompasses the good of everyone in the cast, right. and again, the missed and opportunity that I think comes off by the end of the film, you know? Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, so 59 for being the Ricardos. All right, very good, Ben. So those were our previously released films, folks. Uh, we have two more on the docket here, but those are kind of now playing in theaters, and we just want to take a time here to have our producer segment. So we just want to you know, kind of reiterate the fact that Vin and I, we host the show, and you all help produce the show. We kind of want to stay away from corporate sponsors and just, you know, doing ads in the beginning, middle, and end of this that you're probably just going to fast forward through anyway. And we kind of like just like the, having the freedom of that. But you guys being producers and how you produce is you go to the dailyratings.com, you go to the donations tab, and you're a producer through monetary value. And you can. Whatever value that you feel like you're, like you're getting from us, from the podcast, from the website, if you can give back to us, whether that's large and small donation, it doesn't matter, whether it's reoccurring, whether it's one time. It's just kind of how we're operating this, and you know, it's a true pro- producer credit for you all. And if you want, you can you can write a little note in for us. And if, if you're sending us money, we're going to read that note on, on the very next podcast. And if you want to be anonymous, say you want to be anonymous, and that's totally cool. But it opens up a dialogue with you and the ones really listening, the mm-hmm. ones really checking out the site. It opens up dialogue with you and are we doing a good job, not doing a good job? Do you have critiques? Do you want to like... I mean, honestly, you just want to bitch at us. Do you want to have, you know, <laughs> open up any type of film dialogue or anything like that? And... and <laughs> But it's fun. Again, it's a direct through line to you. It's a value for value model. And uh, again, it's a dailyratings.com. Go to the donations tab and uh, help produce mm-hmm. uh, what we're doing here. It takes a little bit of time. Well, it takes a lot of time. It takes a little bit of money. And so we appreciate all of you who help produce this podcast and the website. Now, with that being said, we're going to go ahead to our now playing films, Vin. Mm-hmm. And what we have first is 
Kimmy, directed by Steven Soderbergh. Yes, uh, Soderbergh's next film after No Set of Moves. He must have a contract with HBO Max to produce a, a series of films because I don't believe No Set of Moves was anywhere in theaters just on Max, and I think it's identical for Kimmy as well. Nonetheless, this came out February 10th, so we're including this in the new release, and believe me... Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, whether you're paying for it with a ticket or not, it's still, again, always about what's worth your time uh, as far as dedicating to right, this. Right, yeah. Kimmy is a story about a agoraphobic QA tester in the tech world for a fictional Alexa type uh, device or Alexa-like device. She reviews audio logs and discovers a savage crime that kind of unfolds into the main plot of this film. Uh, I gotta say, uh, Despite uh, some good reception online towards this, I really did not enjoy this film at all. Kravitz is is just annoying, uh, man. I, I just oh, yeah. feel I feel so, like I brought Zoe that Kravitz, up. Zoe Kravitz, we should mention Zoe Kravitz. Zoe, Zoe Kravitz, not yeah, the not... father. I <laughs> <laughs> gonna go my way. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Zoe Kravitz plays the lead role here. Exactly. Uh, thank you. Thanks for <laughs> covering the gap there. Uh, yeah, I mean, not. To, uh, I feel like I've been bringing up annoying. Maybe it was I was just annoyed this week, but <laughs> Kravitz, I don't think is is enjoyable to watch on screen. Uh, it's, it's She's hard to love intentionally. That is absolutely the character. Don't get me wrong. But it's, it's just not enjoyable for so much of the movie. I think the main issue is that the film introduced aspects like this germaphobic agoraphobic condition for her hmm. it is i mean it's it's there it's constant for the character but very little is done with it as far as by the by the end of the film to draw for its conclusion or create a I mean, and there there is an arc for her character, but it's just very weak. The, the same is true for the tech world. The movie seems to set up a critique for the tech world, for an Alexa-like device, and just just really just does nothing with it. Um, there's nothing meaningful that comes from it. It's, mm. it's used a little bit for conflict in the second act. Obviously, it's driving the main plot of how... Uh, Zoe Kravitz's character discovers uh, the, this crime, but uh, and obviously for her employment, but just little is done with it. Such a, such a, a mirror opposite to Mitchell's versus the Machines, where obviously totally different story, but still similar type of approach to critiquing tech and does nothing with it hmm. in, in Kimmy's case. That is so. Yeah, was I, there something cool about it? And like, were they just dropping the ball, or just like through and through? This was just like. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of not entertaining and not not grasping in in any type of way. I, I think it's more so it sets up concepts that are initially engaging. Kind of, uh, it, it's basically saying that tech companies obviously shouldn't be trusted in a sense, but tech companies are also being propped up by you know kind of a facade, if mm-hmm. you will, kind of a fake. And 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 again, even even my difficulty talking about that with the film. So little is done with that critique. It's there to give the setting to her character being a QA tester for these audio logs uh, for the Alexa device uh, called Kimmy. And by the end, I mean, there's a little bit of a redemption, but it's just it's, nothing. And it then, just falls flat. It, it falls, falls flat. flat. It, it, nothing is done with it. There's no tiebacks to it. And I think it fails as kind of a thriller uh, plot in a... 
in a, not a sci-fi world, but a clearly modern, present type of tech outlook uh, world, and, and and just does so so little with it to tie it back by the end. Uh, I mean, really, the third act I had a big, big problem with because it, it just becomes very cartoonish by the end, uh, in addition to not tying back to anything that the film sets up in the very slow first and second act then. I'll tell you, what, and that's very different for uh, it's very different for Soderbergh. Mm. You know, Soderbergh's usually dealt with you know with a large cast and, oh, and, and sure. having fun with that, and also just like having a great time with the story. You know, like no sudden move. I, the, mm-hmm. the, the way you have characters, it's it's just so much more involved than what mm-hmm. it seems like the simplicity of this film. Exactly, you're always puzzling pieces in, and and maybe why I I'm so cold on the film is because it was setting up some things that I was I was eager to puzzle in. To to have a play into this story, and nothing is just done with it. Uh, it's just very, very weak. Yeah, and it's not him at all. Yeah, especially when you have he's coming off that HBO, that other HBO Max mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. where you know you have all you have very interesting characters, and all of those are trying, to, like you often say, they're trying to get, trying to one up each other constantly, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. play with that, and you, you take it back to Ocean's Eleven or Ocean's Twelve, and. Logan Lucky, even, mm, and mm. just the characters trying to, to. It's just it's it's weird to see him go so small scale, not develop it. And small scale can be fine; it can be yeah, interesting, yeah. but to not go anywhere with it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this is falling flat so much, it's like I wonder, like, what was the deal with this? Yeah, yeah. Like as you said, did he just have to? Was he? Um, was it in the contract that he had to make? You know, <laughs> yeah, make he just another had to prop- pump them out. Right, yeah, right. you know, I mean, it could be that. Um, the film is set during COVID specifically, so maybe this was a smart production choice to make a story with restri- uh, or make a film uh, with COVID restrictions. Um, I think, though, I haven't dived too much into the online reception as far as the specifics being said uh, beyond like just a quick, you know, surface level look. I think for me, I don't want to give it too much praise for this because I don't find it particularly enjoyable. And again, it would be one thing if these aspects of agoraphobia and germaphobic tendencies in our character were taken anywhere. And maybe we we talk about COVID through this film that this character was struggling with this before these elements of isolation. I wish that was there in the film. Nothing is done with it. Again, these, these, uh, almost all these aspects are introduced in the first act. They get muddied in second act uh, and then they go nowhere in third. Okay. uh, That, that's, that's really, I mean, the, the honest truth of it and all while uh zoe kravitz is i mean you know fine performance but the character just very annoying uh and and not enjoyable to watch on screen wow Uh, okay some quick notes uh sound design is cool Uh, a lot of care is put into the muting of certain spaces uh, and headphones i think uh, it was a big plus for me as far as sound design because it was enjoyable and puts a spotlight on how the character is really diving into their work as a QA tester for these audio logs from uh, this Alexa device, Kimmy. Sadly, uh, some some other implementations of tech are not done as well. Uh, I feel like recently I've really been tuned into how texting is portrayed on screen. And mm-hmm. honestly, I've been saying that all of it has learned from the House of Cards lesson that you want actor and text on the same shot. Uh, so you see right. reaction and you get you know, the info dump. This has this, but it's it's handled very clumsily uh, and it doesn't come <laughs> off good, uh, which is odd because I think 
you know, if I had to put money on it, we were over the hill as far as everyone understands how to do this. And this film puts it very loud. The text notifications are like ear blaring. It's very weird, very odd. Well, yeah, you were taking no. Was it last week? I forget what movie it was. But when we were talking about it, it was mm-hmm. almost like the old way of um, reading text, reaction shot, reading yes. text, facial mm-hmm. shot. That back and forth was getting old and crusty, kind exactly. of. Exactly. And it sounds like you would have preferred that over this. Uh, I, I kind of do because it, it's it's handled a little bit clumsy, even though it is uh, the principle of text and actor on same on right, same right. shot. So, uh, just a you know a quick note, uh, and I think finally, if there is a point, this film. It starts to pick up because it is going for a thriller vibe, so there has to be some stakes, and and that ties into Kimmy, or I'm sorry, uh, Zoe Kravitz's character uh, confronting uh, leaving isolation, and and that's kind of naturally where this film is going with with agoraphobia as a as a setup. What is terrible is that every single shot at a certain point becomes a Dutch angle, uh, and it is on a slant, uh, almost, I mean, probably for like 20 minutes solid. And and it's not that I really hate Dutch angles or, or slanted shots or anything like that. It's certainly appropriate in some areas. It's being used. I, don't get me wrong. I understand why it's being used in this because it's, it's uh, you know, the character is struggling with, with leaving isolation. So it is supposed to be this unsettling type of communication. But it is really just god-awful. It is just... <laughs> it is just used to such an excess. It's like... It, at both times, it's like okay, I get it, and two, like I'm getting nauseous. Like this is not—it's <laughs> nauseating is, yeah. on, on multiple levels. Yeah, kind of. Let it sounds like lazy. It sounds like this was very lazy. It sounds like the know. writing was lazy, the directing was lazy. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't want to do it because I really liked No Sudden Move. Uh, I, well, I really did. Uh, well, yeah, it's a different project. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. I just, but it sounds like this has no care consideration was in it. It really, it's it's true. You had a slanted uh, angle for like it's like twenty minutes of the film. It's it's ridiculous, uh, and it, it really brought up uh, obviously in No Sudden Move there was uh, a very uh, interesting film style uh, portrayed yes. in that film. Uh, the it, lens itself, exactly, shot in, yeah. uh, which kind of was a fifty fifty good and bad highlight for me in that film. In this film, maybe Sodenberg was or, or the cinematographer was rolling the dice on saying, hey. You know, let's let's do something you know bold and, and really commit to something throughout the film. Does not work in this case, uh, and uh, and I can't stress enough. I understand why it's being used as far as a storytelling <laughs> method. It's not good. Okay. So. <laughs> but to, to wrap up, like I said, just really not a great film. Uh, what wastes on the screen? What 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 little time I rather uh, is on screen? It's just wasted because it has nothing potent to say about any of the concepts the film brings up. Isolation, the conditions of our character, the mental and physical, you know, kind of debilitating aspects of, of her being challenged to leave her safe spot. The tech world, I think, was probably the most disappointing element because it really is setting up a dialogue about our reliance to uh, verbal AI and and Alexa and, and, and Google and whatnot and, and Siri, but just, just does nothing with it. Uh, and, and I would say most of all, in the third act, there is no not only zero tie back to these concepts, zero fall through to these concepts, but the the ending of the film is just so cartoonish. Uh, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like it, it's it's just it comes out of nowhere. It's like, why is this 
the solution? Why is this the end of the arc for our character? And I could not see how anyone would want to finish this story in this way. It just, it, it turns and it just it just turns in such a such a terrible way and it just felt like such a colossal waste of time for that reason <laughs> um because i mean again and if in anything i'm interested to see can they make a boring character can they make this annoying character have a meaningful conclusion to overcome her struggles uh and overcome the drama of this film uh which is very an internal drama mm-hmm. no <laughs> nope <laughs> definitely not so uh, i would say it does not deter me from my excitement to see kravitz and batman uh she of course is going to be playing catwoman and i think that's probably a perfect casting my hope is that she through her acting is able to flesh out the character a little bit more here than here uh and hopefully as well the writing is just not going to set her up for what was a very annoying time Hmm. to to watch on screen so we're gonna go ahead and give kimmy a 36 36 almost better than what it was sounding like. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But overall, just a, just kind of a waste of your time. Don't definitely, bother. definitely yeah. streaming fodder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just which is a shame, uh, absolutely a shame. Yeah, know? and who knows what the production was behind it? But I mean, overall, just it's it's yeah, it just seems exactly like, for any audience. Don't really waste your time with it. Exactly. I mean, you know. Zoe Kravitz, gorgeous on screen. You know, I'm I'm a simple man. You you put a chick in blue hair. I'm I'm there. You know, <laughs> but no, it's just it's not worth your time. Okay, so Kimmy with the 36. percent Let's see if we can turn things around here. Okay. For <laughs> I, what, I what? Hate, hate to <laughs> hate to disappoint you, Tom. <laughs> no, not disappoint at all. Very. I can't wait to hear the next one, person. Uh, right. I don't right. know how they're going to make their money back. Yeah. Um. That that being Comcast, NBC. <laughs> Because this is only a Peacock release. Oh, true. And the marketing was out the wazoo. Oh, I know, right? But here we have a uh, new release, Marry Me. Yeah. With, with J-Lo and J-Lo. O- Owen, uh, Owen Wilson. Oh, man. You know, uh, I can <laughs> get by- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tell the story. <laughs> you know it's off to a good start when my notes start with, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> I, can, I can probably get behind one of these every now and again, uh, these type of romances. I would say structurally it's probably most close to like a hitch uh, and I think uh, it's a good example of this type of subgenre being uh, she's out of my league uh, type of rom-com. And there's something about this film where I, I, I barely know anything about it. <laughs> right. Obviously it's what I get from commercials and right, such. Right. But hitch has always been in the back of my mind. Yes. And it's something with there's a playfulness. It's just it's classic rom-com, a playfulness, and you have – the same elements are kind of there where these two maybe shouldn't be together. I mean, mm-hmm. Owen Wilson and J-Lo, that's mm-hmm. kind of the whole premise. Right, right. And you have Will Smith being the character he was and not supposed to be a guy who falls in love and everything right. like that. Right, yeah, yeah. So it's hard not to compare, but Hitch was kind of enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. I, I think in general it just belongs to the same subgenre of uh, she's out of my league or they are out of my league uh, and, and you know, kind of against all odds love wins uh, in, in that type of subgenre. And how did it... What do we get here? Yeah, well, <laughs> well my, marry me. Just, just uh, let me, let me intro it. You know, I, marry me is about Jennifer Lopez uh, playing a superstar singer who uh, compulsively marries Owen Wilson, a, a math teacher. <laughs> I have to say, I, I don't think this is a bad performance from from J Lo. Uh, oddly enough, uh, she has some some decent uh, energy in this role. I, I think. 
while the writing is probably the safest thing imaginable, she really does have some good moments that come off natural and there there's there's excitement and, and enjoyment on screen. It's it's entertaining. I wouldn't necessarily call it funny, but it's just very heartwarming and believe me, if there was anything for you folks at home, I mean I, I, I think it's it's pretty easy to to say, hey, uh is is this gonna be a catastrophic J Lo performance as we may have known her acting career to be? <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I think a serious positive is that J Lo's performance, I would say, is not only passable, but but leaning towards good. She is playing a superstar here. And I think because she, you know she is a superstar, uh, it's it's enjoyable to watch. There's a, there's an easy role for her to play. It's not a and big reach. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's a perfect way to that, put it. You know, she's uh, she's good at playing the role because she is that role. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the the enjoyment of seeing her on screen is is is, is a nice match. Uh, I have never seen. You know a lot of the catastrophic J Lo films, uh, and and definitely the big deterrent in, <laughs> in in even thinking about reviewing this for Valentine's Day week. I, I've never seen you know the worst Geely. What what is it? G G G Geely with with Ben Affleck. I mean, it is the that that's the 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 king of them all as yeah. far as they say. It's just a terrible terrible it's just movie. Bad. Yeah, but I have seen a little sci fi movie called The Cell, and 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 where I'm bringing this up is I know what catastrophic bad J-Lo acting looks like. Uh, so I, I can't stress enough, you know, I wasn't just swept up by the romance or the story of this film. I was really looking uh, at J-Lo's performance critically here, and I have to say, not only is it a big bump up from what could have been a really bad performance, but... It, I would say it's it's pretty damn good, and okay. and again, I think you hit the nail on the head, Tom. You know, maybe it's not a huge reach. Nonetheless, it works. You know, what I mean, oh yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Oddly enough, uh, <laughs> Owen Wilson is just the worst. I, I just, <laughs> That's such a shame. I know it is. Oh God, his character is supposed to have just no life. And, and even when it picks up, you know, it just feels like he's phoning it in. And maybe, hey, you know, if I was Owen Wilson, you tell me my agent calls me up and say, hey, you want to be in a, a rom-com with J-Lo? Maybe that is the time to phone it in. But it's a shame because J-Lo is giving her all. And and Owen Wilson is just not there. And that's to coming match across, it. It's coming across the screen as J Lo is giving it her all, and Owen Wilson is not. Uh, yes, exactly. It, it almost because it almost sounds like J Lo is being very good mm -hmm. at being a character very similar to J Lo. Yeah, yeah. And Owen Wilson, I don't know, I don't know how much of a range Owen Wilson has because it seems like every time he's in a film, mm -hmm. it's almost like they're just like, hey, be Owen Wilson. Mm -hmm. Like we need Owen Wilson in this. Mm -hmm. You know, he played that short role in um in the beginning of the French Dispatch. Yes, yes. And mm -hmm. it's just like. He was great in that role. Mm -hmm. but he was I would say all Wes Anderson, he's great in it. Right, so. and he was just playing Owen Wilson in it, mm -hmm. though. You know what I mean? And so was he Owen Wilson, or was he like actually trying to? It, it's neutered. Like, what's the, the? Yeah, it's 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 much more boring. It's uh, again, he plays a math teacher, so obviously it, the the kind of. Um, 
comedic pairing, the the, the out of the league aspect of the romance is that well, he's like a boring as as boring can be math teacher, and you have J Lo being a superstar charismatic you know goddess basically. So that's the type of matching there. I think the script is weak throughout the whole film, but where this compounds is an extremely weak from performance from Owen Wilson. Uh, I think the boringness that his character has to be could be taken in still a, a very entertaining uh, direction. And I just, I, I just, again, as, as maybe unfair as it is, and, and certainly, you know, I, I like Owen Wilson as an actor and want to see him succeed. I, phoning it in is really the term I would use looking for this performance. Looking for the paycheck. Exactly, exactly. Right. And again, I, you know, I mean, put him in his, put, put me in his shoes, uh, you know, if there was a time to phone it in, it was probably for a movie called Marry Me, you know what I mean? Pretty simple uh, plot. I exactly. mean, it's not like dynamic in any sort of way. Like exactly. I said, I'm sure the paycheck was relatively good. Yeah. You know, Peacock wanted this big original Oh, and stuff, they definitely but, did. They you know, definitely did. So It's interesting, the fact that, uh, that J-Lo actually comes across quite well and... Yeah, and it, that's it, a shame. It's, it's not matched. Then. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not matched. It's like, I would almost compare, I mean, I don't know, maybe this is a weird comparison off the top of my head, but it's almost like, you know, you're in a Nick Cage movie, you're like, okay, I'm just taking a check because Nick Cage is taking a check, and then Nick Cage gives a great performance. Mm. You know, it, it's mm. kind of a mismatch in communication of who's giving their all and 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 you know again against all odds it's jlo giving her all and i think it really does work so yeah just just this just a shame and i can't stress enough i think where this film really boils down into monotony and genericness uh it is it is lying with owen uh and, and the script writing as a whole i think it compounds with owen like i said okay so, all right uh, a quick plus and minus minus um decent upside is the music uh believe it or not uh, with with j-lo providing vocals and uh and leading all the songs uh has an interesting take on modern fake hit songs uh i really <laughs> uh i i i you know, uh, d- don't get me wrong here. Let me, let me, <laughs> maybe I'm going into <laughs> too positive to, to what is clearly, you know, like nonsense pop songs. But, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. It is obviously just a vehicle to sell the soundtrack. This film actually had a theater limited release of a sing along version of this. Are you serious? Uh, yeah. Yeah. With like, you know, the, the bouncing, the bouncing, you know, dot and everything on the lyrics. So don't get me wrong. You know, I mean, I am as cynical as they come. I understand this is just a a vehicle to sell the soundtrack but I'm telling you there is some parody to these songs uh, I think there was oddly enough some care put into crafting a fake pop song what would be electric and the songs themselves are kind of good in that way uh, so and correct me if I'm wrong this was not J-Lo didn't take this role and one of her singles isn't in this like she's not promoting a new single and she's using it as a piggyback correct no I don't think so but okay. the the film film has a fully fleshed out uh, soundtrack of probably I want to maybe say like a five to seven uh, original J Lo songs in this, you know, that she's providing vocals ah, for. Okay. All so right. again, you know, don't get me wrong; it is definitely a business move to try to have this romance filled with, a, a, you know, a packed to the brim with songs that will sell separately, will be listened to separately. I think creatively, though, I. You know, I can't. I can't stress enough. I think there was some intentional parody to it uh, in how a pop song would sound in this very close to reality, but still parodied world yeah. of superstardom. Okay, so, I mean, that's pretty. All right. Yeah, yeah. It definitely it it, it was it was a, a mild highlight because again, much like 
J-Lo's acting. I just totally didn't expect yeah, it. So Props for props are due. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I definitely want, I, I couldn't shake the fact that there was some care put behind it beyond, you know, obviously the very obvious, you know, business move to put, you know, pack a soundtrack into this big movie. So I would say the minus on the quick pause and minus is the ad placement uh, in this film. Uh, uh, they need to make their money somehow. Whew, I immediately paused after the fourth new company was introduced <laughs> and uh, i just had to walk away for a moment Are you uh, serious? yeah it was just like wow it's so like deer in the headlights when they, when they deliver the line yeah, you know yeah. when they when they talk about the company and it's it, oftentimes it's a solution to conflict <laughs> and it's, it's just really ugh. uh just just gross ad placement i think um you know, <laughs> you know if it's gonna be ads in a film i mean obviously again much like the soundtrack thing i understand there has to be kind of a business move behind here i think uh that the the parallels uh of uh, of what we see in 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 the soundtrack and these ad placements is that the soundtrack works i think on its own and maybe has some some creative merit to it uh in how it's comedically paired in this world these ad placements do not uh and and hmm. like you mentioned tom uh this is of course uh, a Peacock original. Uh, this is, uh, of course, NBC's new uh, digital sow. So. <laughs> <laughs> they were pushing yeah, it. Yeah, too. Yeah, I'm is... shocked to see how much ad re- like ad money is being pushed for this yeah, film. Yeah, and, and and it being an NBC property, they cart out Jimmy Fallon for a supporting role, which no. was terrible. Uh, <laughs> it was god. Got all... that drunk on screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're calling him out. Slander. <laughs> oh Liable. my gosh. Uh yeah, it, it's yeah, it just this this whole this whole, you know, minus segment like I said or right, this, yeah. this con segment, it relates to the money making aspect of it and how much NBC is just pulling on everything NBC to it. Uh so it's like gaudy. Uh, it's just I don't know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh you can definitely sell, uh, see that NBC is like, "Okay, we're pulling all stops, you know, this is this is our property, you know, I, uh, so uh, that that's where it was it's like uh, who's asking for this?" Exactly. You know. <laughs> exactly. So, uh but like I said earlier, the script is even pretty evenly spread on how generic and predictable it is, and you based can say, on a graphic novel. Oh, really? Yeah, a graphic novel. What? Two thousand seven. What a graphic novel! I'm not, I'm not kidding. J Lo read it. She was like, "I gotta make. <laughs> I gotta play a soundtrack to this." <laughs> but um, generic would be the best word. I can yeah, yeah. And, and and don't get me wrong. I mean, it is. If I really, you know, or rather when I have to put audio to my hitch review, which I don't think is too high on on the ratings, but, you know, there's not going to be too much that... I'm expecting out of a rom-com like this, the the she's out of my league uh, subgenre to it. You know, it is going to be predictable. And I think are, there are some highlights, but I think the problem with it is that it, it is solely concerned about feeling good. Uh, and there's no pepper. There's no a contrast uh, in, in what is done. It's all up, up, up. And the minor times we take a step back is just like, it's so has to be there because it's the, you know, it we, we need a, a little bit of conflict by the end of the second act of the film. Mm. You know, it's just like, mm. so forced. Uh, and, and again, I can't tell you how much it compounds with some very poor performances and 
it's just bad. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, again, I if my praise is anywhere, it is for J-Lo. Jenny from the block. Uh, <laughs> she, which is, yeah, that's cool. Which is amazing kind of. because, I mean, that that's, I think the, the standouts are on soundtrack and, and, and with her performance. You know, I think if you are a big fan of J-Lo against all odds, you know, you loved Anaconda, you loved, <laughs> <laughs> you loved the cell, you know. <laughs> J-Lo's here for you. J-Lo's back. Uh, but I think even if this was a flawless film, because of that aspect of the subgenre and the very specific subgenre it's shooting for, it really is destined to be middle of the road. We're going to go ahead and give Marry Me a 46. Okay, 46. Very. Can't get too much more middle of the road than I that. Told you, I told you it was a mediocre week. I wanted to get some surprises for you, Tom. I kinda, no, but I like what I'm seeing here. <laughs> yeah. You want to fill them out. You can fill out the bid. <laughs> yeah, not the best week for you, though. You got to sit through all this. I'm glad you yeah. Typical Valentine's Day. Uh, 46% for Marry Me. Yeah, Hitch is at a 60, by the way. Oh, wow. <laughs> makes a lot more Look sense. Look at that. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, and, and, and I think, wow, I mean, it goes to show... Uh, I'm probably going to feel the same way on these films because of that subgenre. It's just it's kind of predictable from from even the I don't know if Hitch would you would say is the original. It's definitely probably no, it's not, definitely but, not. But you know I think uh, the, these out of the league kind of you know they're they're all going to play the same. They're all going to you know just basic cutesy rom com mm-hmm. kind of. I don't know, it's just like all right, you know, mm-hmm. you know, right. it's kind of like if a, so if you're in the mood. Go for Hitch rather than this. I, yeah, I think that's a good way to go about it. You know? Absolutely. It's one of those things. Or, or it's going to be on fan. TBS, and it's just like, all right, I'm doing the dishes. Yeah, this Peacock is what I lets, on. lets the grass. They're going to have an <laughs> yeah. iron grip. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you, you subscribe to Peacock. There's no free trial for Peacock either. They're getting all that Olympic money. They need uh, it. So. Oh, yeah. All right, but so. yeah, excited to see if Peacock can produce something a little bit better. I believe this is the first uh, actual featured film. Uh, that they've he- done, they're going heavy on the TV series, so they're yes. doing the, you know the Bel Air, which mm-hmm. kind of looks kind of good. To be mm-hmm. honest with you, mm-hmm. um, they're kind of I think going for the TV stuff more. Yeah, so but uh, excited to see if they can do something else. Uh, you know, because because the forty six ain't gonna do it. They got the money. They got Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy <laughs> Fallon's gonna be a sporting role in every movie. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Okay, Vin. So, well, is there anything else you'd like to add, Vin, or we're going to roll credits here? Oh, no. Uh, that, that That's good for me, I think. <laughs> All right, Vin. Well, we, we appreciate you stopping by. And folks at home, we're just going to run it through one more time here. So we have Holiday Inn at a 43%. We have The Mitchells versus The Machines at a 78 Being the Ricardos at a 59 Kimmy at a 36 And Marry Me with a 46%. We thank you so much for listening this week, folks, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com, where you can donate whatever amount of value you feel that you received from us. You'll get a producer mentioned on the next podcast episode, too. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.